Hey, this is Pastor Keith with Epic Life Church. And if you're tuning into this podcast, I hope it's something that will encourage you. And maybe you can listen to it a couple times and as you're reading the scripture as well and come out with something new and maybe something to think about all day or talk with a friend and maybe use in a house church community or maybe on, on a, a chat across the, uh, the internet in this time that we're separated. Enjoy. Last week I talked about disappointment, going from disappointment to joy, and today I'm just going to share this message about going from fear to faith in the Christmas story. This Christmas story is full of joy, silent nights, holy nights, and angels on high, joy to the world, the first Noel, and sleigh bells ringing, and gifts, maybe even 12 gifts, hopefully, right? A little drummer boy and snowmen uh, walking around with top hats on. And uh, is that Victoria and Elena? Oh my goodness, good to see you. Wow, I can't see you clearly. That is so wonderful to see you, sorry. Uh, and the rest of you. So. Uh, little drummer boys and snowmen, uh, this is the happiest time of the year, yet the first Christmas was full of many mixed emotions, and happiness probably wasn't one of them. Uh, there was other emotions going on, maybe a little snippet of happiness and joy, but um, there was a lot of other emotions happening, and one of those emotions, and probably not the least emotion, was the emotion of fear. The first Christmas actually represents a lot of fear. And we're going to read some verses later on here to kind of show you how that fear is. Fear was a common emotion in the first Christmas. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably a common emotion in our own Christmases um, as we go through life. Sometimes they're, they're full of happiness and joy. Sometimes they're full of fear, anxiety, disappointments, and a whole bunch of other stuff. H.P. Lovecraft, who was a uh, early 20th century um, horror writer, uh, author, uh, says this. The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest fear is the fear of the own unknown. It's, it's probably true, right? Fear of the unknown, though, comes from the known. So follow me with this a little bit. We do believe that fear of the unknown is probably the strongest fear. But fear of the unknown comes from a legitimate fear of the known, something that has happened to us. The fear of the, the unknown comes from something happening to us, like something we being hurt by someone or someone. The unknown then takes on life itself. I was fearful walking to the barn from the house in the dark in the mountains, walking from the house to the barn to get a gallon of milk and walk it back to the house. Why? Because it was dark out there, and I knew there were wild animals out there. And probably some kind of dragon or something else in the night. So there was a fear there, but it came from knowing that people were attacked by mountain lions and bears, oh my. And so that's, that's the fear, and it became this fear that then the unknown takes a life of itself. As soon as mankind discovered something or someone could harm them, fear entered the story. The fear and fear began to cripple us, began to hold us down, it began to imprison us in really bad ways. Yet, fear can also be life-giving, can't it? 
And so often we look at fear as a horrible, evil, terrible thing, and often it's used like that, but fear is also a life-giving thing. Fear, some is healthy, and it will keep us alive. Some fear is unhealthy, and it will keep us from being alive. Instead of allowing fear to be the controlling agent in you, we need to use fear as, as what it is. It's really just a tool. It's really an implement that is used by others or the enemy to either hold us back and control us or perhaps the Lord to raise us up and give us more faith. Maybe we need to change our understanding of what fear is to something that's just a power over us to something that can be used for good and for the growth of faith. Don't let fear cripple you. So, of course, some person might have the fear of heights. Anybody with a fear of heights in here? Online? Fear of heights? Of course, fear of heights is a, a realistic thing, but don't let it cripple you by never going on an airplane ride. That would be a crippling form of the fear of heights. The fear of the darkness. Many of us are afraid of the dark, but don't let the fear of the darkness cripple you from going to the bathroom at night. Okay? The fear of fire, but don't let the fear of fire, because of something legitimate in your past, cripple you from sitting around a campfire in, in the, the wilderness someplace and enjoying that. There is fear and it's good, but there's, there's wisdom in that and allowing it to cripple us is not a good thing. The Bible is, is very full of fear. Fear is very present in the Bible, throughout the Bible. It's a, a base emotion of humanity when we find out, right? A base emotion of humanity from the very beginning. But fear is a double-edged sword. It can cut both ways. Some say fear is why religion exists. Partly that's true. Some say that maybe fear is the only reason, reason that Christianity exists. Well, I think this is true about religion. But Christianity isn't religion. If you're a Christ follower, you understand well that Christianity isn't some religion that's based in the, the grips of fear. In the past, religion sprang up because they, didn't, they were afraid that they wouldn't have crops, and so they, out of fear, they'd sacrifice to the crop god. A flood came and wiped the villages out, so out of fear, they started sacrificing to the water god, the flood god. Out of fear, people started sacrificing to the storm gods, and to the wild animal god, and the wilderness gods, and the war gods, and the volcano gods, and the fertility gods. Out of fear, those religions cropped up and became something that people did to gain um, hopefully gain peace from the gods that are out there. But Christianity isn't a religion. It's full of, is not full of lists and rules and ordinances. If you're from the outside looking in, that's often what people think of Christianity, isn't it? That we are a people who are, who are bound by um, rules and regulations and ordinances that we have to keep so that we can have a relation, so that we can have salvation, so that we as small people can come under an angry God and, and get his, his, uh, his um, care, perhaps, maybe. But that's not Christianity at all. It is a relationship with Jesus through faith and repentance. Jesus has abolished the need for a religious system, yet at the same time he has fulfilled 
that religious system. He has abolished the need for a sacrifice and fear, but he has fulfilled the need for that sacrifice and fear by being the last sacrifice. This is where God takes fear, that fear that cripples and kills, and he uses it to increase our faith if we're a willing participant. We, many of us, have had that experience of understanding that our faith has been strengthened. Will you throw me my phone, please? Okay, go. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I thought you threw it. <laughs> so, in a way, Christianity is about fear, but it's more about the eradication of fear, uh, the eradication of the crippling that fear has on our lives. Don't, don't mind me, I'm just looking up something on the internet. Which I had prepared, and of course, now it's not anywhere. So I'm going to continue to look this up while I'm... Oh, I love this. This is great. Yeah, okay. Just a second. Fear. I was going to read this C.S. Lewis quote to you guys because it's super good and super uh, beautiful. As he speaks about what fear looks like um, out of the atomic era in 1948, he wrote about the atomic age and why this idea of why fear grips us. Here's C.S. Lewis. In one way, we think a great deal too much about the atomic bomb. You might hear this and correlate a little bit with 2020. How are we to live in the atomic age? I am tempted to reply this way. Why? As you would, you'd live in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would live in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night. Or indeed, as you are already living in the age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir and madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. Insert what you want in the atomic bomb. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in an unpleasant way. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors. Anesthetics. But we have that... But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things that re represent our faith. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing our children, playing tennis, and chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. C.F. Lewis. 
so often, right? So, so speaking right into, to, to, into this day and age right now, this crippling fear that we allow to affect us. All of life is about fear. Pretty much all of it. If we really think about all of life and how we have, we have put a, uh, tried to mitigate the fear in our lives and the danger that surrounds us. What Christians have is not a secret antidote against all things that could harm us. Like, becoming a Christian doesn't change our gene bio, bio whatever that is, our genes, right? It doesn't change who we are, so we're, we can't have anything come against us and anything affect us. What changes in the Christian is faith. But we do possess the answer to fear, this anxiety, this dread. Through often, we often forget we possess the answer. James 1-2 says, when troubles come, con consider it an opportunity for joy. Many people say that there are 365 verses about fear in the Bible. And it's true. There are a lot of verses. I don't know how many, but let's just read some. If you go, if you type into your web search to, have you guys ever went to, what does the Bible say about this? It's fantastic. It just comes up with a list of verses. Fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. The fear of man lays a snare, but who can tr trust in the Lord is safe. I have, not, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be af afraid. Do not be dismayed. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Do not be anxious or fearful about anything. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or dread them. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom will I fear? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled or fearful. Do not let them be afraid. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that all the proper times he may exalt you, casting all your fears upon him. Do not be fearful about anything. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. There are a lot of verses of fear in the Bible. And the, because... The Bible represents, and the, the spirit of, of the living God as the Bible is being written down, realizes that we deal with fear every place of our lives. And in fact, the early church dealt with fear probably even more than we, or they had more legitimate fear, maybe even, than we do right now. Not to illegitimize our fear. Dionysius from two, uh, 250 um, A.D., he was the, the bishop of Alexandria. And when the Alexandria plagues came about, Dionysus and his, his brothers and sisters as Christians would, would run into the plague to save those hurting as the world was running away from the plague. Humanity does not understand Christians' take on fear. So Dionysius wrote this. He's a church father. He said, other people would not think that this time is a time of festive festivals. Um, other people would not think this is a time of festival, but for 
a time of fear and a time of distress. It is a time, no, this is a time of unimaginable joy. This is Dionysus as he and his brothers and sisters were running into the plague, looking for a place where they could serve and help and care for people as people were dying all around them, and they gave their lives in this space. Fear exists in the world. But Christians, we've been called to find a way to mitigate that fear. So the first Christmas is about fear. And this is, this is the first Christmas. Humanity doesn't understand Christianity's take on fear. And so from the outside looking in, people say, well, the, the Bible is just there. Christianity is just there because people are afraid of going to hell. Well, there is that fear, I would say, I suppose. But sadly, that is... That's, that's the wrong perspective and the wrong way to look at the biblical text. What God is doing throughout the Bible is saying, hey, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. I've given you a spirit of power, a spirit to overtake fear, to mitigate that fear. So let's look and see where fear arrives in the first Christmas. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. There's four places where fear exists in this first Christmas that was full of joy. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear, an overwhelming fear. Have you ever been paralyzed with fear? So there he was, he was paralyzed, an overwhelming fear that was just shaking him, shivering him, paralyzed before this angel that appeared. Why was this, why was this, why did it make him afraid? Well, this hasn't happened before. This wasn't something that priests come out and go, I saw another angel, I saw Gabriel again. That isn't what was happening. And so this happened and Zechariah was terrified. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear and he saw when he saw him. But the angel said, what did the angel say? Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Over and over and over throughout the Bible, the, the Lord tells us, do not be afraid, Zechariah. You have been chosen on purpose, Zechariah. You've been identified for a purpose, and, and I'm here to present that to you. When we realize that we've been identified for a purpose in this world, it should bring a little bit of fear to us. And here, Zechariah is experiencing this fear as he's being identified for a purpose in the Christmas story. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer, and your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. You must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Zechariah is thinking in his mind, as we discovered later, that Elizabeth was thinking as well, that God has finally taken the, the reproach of not having any children away from them. And here they are having a child, and, and Zechariah is going, yes, thank you, Lord. Or, or maybe he's doubting it, going, what, how is this working? And so this, these emotions were happening in fear. And then the, whole, the, the, the angel quotes the end of Malachi, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. The last few verses of the Old Testament, the angel is presenting to Zechariah and Zechariah is hearing this and he's remembering those words and he's realizing what is happening. And Zechariah answers in disbelief. 
but it turns throughout his life into faith. Next week, I'm going to talk about the songs that were sung in the first century, and Zechariah's song is going to be part of that. Another place of, of fear was in Luke chapter 1, verse 29. So the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greeting, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And so this word confused and disturbed is kind of an interesting word, but it means acutely distressed. It's a different kind of fear from being paralyzed in fear. It's acutely distressed. Like, distressed in her soul of not of trying to figure out what was going on, uh, but it is a fear thing that was popping up into Mary's life. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was afraid. How do we know she was afraid? Because the angel says in verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with the Lord. You have been identified for a purpose in the first Christmas and the life of the Messiah. Don't be afraid. We'll go on with that next week as Mary sings a song about that. But jump over to chapter 2. Verse 9, and this is the birth of Jesus, and it's happening, and, and, and it's, it's taking place in Bethlehem. And that night, in, in verse 8, that night where the angels were staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. And, and this word terrified was is even a different kind of fear. It's like abjectly like crazy off their, off their rockers terrified. In fact, um, a lot of people will say they fell over and fainted in fear. They were face down in fear. They couldn't even, um, that kind of fear, uh, you're, you can't even take care of your, your bodily functions very well. And things happen and, and people say, I was so afraid I peed my pants. That's probably what happened to the shepherd. They didn't have pants. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and they were terrified. But the angel assured them, don't be afraid. Look at the exclamation point there that wasn't with, with Mary. Uh, this exclamation point, he, he shouted to them, guys, guys, it's okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, I, I scared you so much. These guys were awestruck, falling to the ground in fear. Don't be afraid, he says. You have been identified for a purpose in the first Christmas. I bring to you the good news. I will bring joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will go and you will recognize him by this sign. And these, these uh, shepherds who were the lowest rung of society, kind of next to the tax collectors, kind of dirty people, people who were unclean, who weren't supposed to be touched, out living among the sheep, uh, living among the unclean sheep, not even the, the clean sheep. These were the lowest rung. What is fascinating, I'll talk more about this next week, but what's fascinating about the shepherds is that before the, the Egyptian uh, 400 years in Egypt, shepherds were seen as the top rung of society. They were honored. They were the shepherds of the flocks. They were important. And so God steps in there because of prejudice, because of the way the Egyptians saw shepherds, because of now a religious system and, the, and cleanliness and the way the religious system sees shepherds. They were the lowest. And so God comes and, and scares the daylights out of the shepherds, bringing them up to, to see the pure, holy Messiah. 
How beautiful is that? And then over in Matthew, one more spot where we see a different kind of fear on the first Christmas. Matthew 1, verse 19. Verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in between verse 18 and verse 19, there's life. There's life happening. Joseph and Mary were engaged. They were assigned a legal document to be married. And during that time, uh, you were not supposed to be, uh, you know, in, involved in sex or outside. And, and if you broke that with someone else and you became pregnant, then there was a, a breaking, a divorce of that to the penalty of stoning itself. And so Mary and Joseph, in between these two verses, had talked and there was life. And Joseph became distraught in his soul because he didn't understand what was going on. Verse 19, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly as he considered this. It doesn't seem like there's some fear there, but there's a lot of fear in that passage. Joseph is going, I, I don't want to cause harm on Mary. I don't want our, our marriage to be started in this, this way that, whew, this is going to look bad. It's going to be bad for this child. It's going to be bad for me. It's going to be bad for business. And he went through these, he went through all these lists. Anybody go through these lists of how bad things are going to be in life? And you stay up night at night going, oh, this could happen, and this could happen. Oh, my goodness, and this could happen. And if that happens, then this happens. It starts a whole other tree of things that could go wrong. And that was Joseph in between verse 18 and verse 19. All of this stuff is going to go wrong. All of this stuff. And he was dreaming about it. And we see in Joseph's life that he was a dreamer and God spoke to him in his dreams. And he was dreaming about this and he's laying awake at night going, oh, my life is ruined. Everything. My business, my practice is ruined. How am I going to, if we get married, we're not even going to be able to make money in this town. We're going to be rejects in this town. This is bad stuff. And that list of fears, how do I know that was fearful in Joseph's life? Well, verse 20. As he considered this, what a great word, as he considered this. Do you, lay, do you lay awake at night in fear, thinking to yourself, I'm just considering a few options. <laughs> yeah, as he considered this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in one of his dreams. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For you as well have been identified for a purpose in the story of Christmas. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And throughout all these passages, as the, the angel of the Lord comes to these people who have been identified for purpose in this story, the angel is strengthening their faith strengthening them through fear not discounting the fear but saying listen don't let fear overtake you and destroy you and cripple you and and imprison you fear can have a devastating psychological effect on us but it need not cripple us men and women instead we can use it to strengthen our faith or allow the holy spirit to use it as a strengthener of our faith 
Fear traps us under circumstances. Have you ever taken an airplane ride? And it's Seattle, most likely, and it's covered in rain and, and fog and low overcast clouds. And you take this plane down the SeaTac um, airstrip and up, and you're, you're fighting through the, through the rain, and you're under this dark embankment of clouds, and it feels like it's nighttime, but it's only 10 a.m., and you go into the clouds, and it gets darker, and they're coming past the windows, and then you break free, right, on top of that, above the clouds where there's daylight and, and sunshine and no rain, and you can see the mountains peeking up from all over the place, and you can see forever. Fear traps us underneath circumstances. Like an airplane through the clouds, we can break through that and be above the circumstances. Circumstances still remain. They're still there. We're just above them now. And we're allowing those, those things of fear, those things that are there to create a, an amazing faith in our lives. How? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. You cannot mitigate fear by attending church or listening to one more good podcast or, or, uh, or, try, or listening to somebody else tell you, mitigate the fear. It's not going to happen. What's going to happen is a meditation on the word of God. His word to us. 365 passages and more, and stories and circumstances and things about mitigating fear and bringing that fear to faith. Here it is. And we complain that the pastor hasn't said enough, hasn't taught us enough, that the podcast wasn't enough, that it wasn't far enough, that I've forgotten things, that I kind of need this constant mental thing going on in my head constantly. Here it is. It's the Word of God. And it's beautiful. It's meditating here, abiding in Christ. It mitigates, meditation on the Word mitigates fear and turns it into faith. In this the book of Habakkuk is the last, um, one of the, the final uh, pass, uh, uh, books of the prophets, a small little book. And Habakkuk is coming out of uh, Israelite rebellion. And God is like, I'm kind of tired of you guys again. And the Israelites are turning away from God, thumbing their nose at God. And Habakkuk is coming in and going, there, this, we're, we're falling apart, God. There is no hope for us. We're, we're, uh, our walls are being torn down and people are, the enemies are coming and we're being killed and overthrown and, and, and havoc is being wrecked on us. And Habakkuk is calling out to God. And at the very end of the book of Habakkuk, um, in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, I tremble inside when I hear this. And he's talking about the, the trampling and the weapons and the horses coming and trampling the people of God. And in verse eight, uh, 16, he's, he's fearful. He's the man of God. He's the prophet of God. And he's fearful for the tribes of Israel. I tremble inside when I hear all this. My lips quiver with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. Waiting quietly for the coming day. Hear any terror in there? Hear all those things that we just talked about in the first Christmas. Waiting for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. And he turns. Even though the fig tree has no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine 
And even though the olive crops fail, and the enemies lie empty, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. The circumstances were still there. Habakkuk turned his eyes to where strength lies. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not allow fear to imprison us, but step into faith that frees us. I thank you that story after story, event after event, and even the Christmas story itself points us, our, the, the people of God, to step away from fear and into faith. Because the fact is, we know this, as Ephesians has said, that we have been appointed, have been anointed, have been called out for a purpose and there is nothing the world can do against us, nothing the, 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 the things of the enemy and the, the things we fear can do against us when we've been called and purposed by you. We've been stamped by the Holy Spirit for your purposes. God, I thank you for this, this Christmas that we celebrate, this silent night, this holy night, this shepherds in the fields at night gathering around the baby, hearing the stories of how it all came about. I thank you for the writings that we can look back and listen in. And I pray, Lord, that we would take in our soul the encouragement to live and run from fear, from fear that cripples. Lord, send us into faith. I pray that this morning that we would turn our attention to the word of God, that we would be about discipleship and discipling one another, that we would be about um, listening and understanding and grabbing a hold of, and that we would cherish every time the word of God is preached. In Jesus' name, amen.